Hey, this is Eastlake BBA, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you. We hope this builds your faith. Enjoy the message. I'm Michael. I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. I'm Michael. And I've got a lot of Alan on issues, too. Boy. Um, Bill's story. The set-aside prayer for this part of the book is, God, please enable me to set aside everything I think I know for an open mind and a new experience. Help me see the truth about my physical craving after I start a drink or a drug or acting out. Help me also connect with and see how I can relate to how Bill felt, how Bill drank, or in my case also used, and the progressive nature of alcoholism and addiction. Amen. So a lot of what I'm looking for is how I can relate to Bill, and unless I slow it down, turn the statements into questions, and ask myself what my experience is around what I'm reading, I'm probably not going to have an experience. For a long time, Bill's story was an old white stockbroker dude that seemed kind of rich and New York guy, didn't really relate to it. I knew he was an alcoholic, I knew I was an alcoholic, but I didn't relate to his story the way that I do today. War fever ran high in the New England town to which we knew young officers from Plattsburgh were assigned. And we were flattered when first citizens took us into their homes, making us feel heroic. Here was love, applause, war, moments sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last. Okay. Love, applause, war, moments sublime, intervals hilarious. Sounds pretty chaotic. Sounds very much like my youth. Very chaotic. Crazy. Uh, Throw a little bit of liquor or drugs in that. Party time, excellent. We're all over the place, right? I was part of life at last. In the midst of this excitement, he he discovers liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudices of my people concerning drink. And how I can relate to that is uh, my dad was a drug addict and died uh, when I was a teenager in the streets couple of alcoholic grandparents died of alcoholism. I had some warnings in my family that Michael and drugs and alcohol might not be a good mix. Blew right past those warnings. In time I sailed for over there, I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. So when, looking back on it, did I start to drink because I was lonely? A lot of the time in the beginning I drank because I wanted to feel crazy, altered, different. I wanted to join in with the people that were having fun. I did a lot of it for excitement and fun, but when did I start drinking for loneliness? When did I start using drugs for loneliness? And I do remember there were a couple of specific times that that started and it never really went away. As soon as I would come down for a little bit or start to have some problems, maybe I feel a little bit lonely. Drugs or alcohol was always my solution to that. We landed in England. I visited the Winchester Cathedral. Much moved, I wandered outside. My attention was caught by a doggerel or a trivial verse on an old tombstone. Here lies a Hampshire grenadier who caught his death drinking cold small beer. A good soldier is ne'er forgot whether he dieth by musket or by pot. And in this case, the pot is a cup of beer. So it's saying uh, this fellow could have died in the war from battle or he could die from the alcoholism that put him in the grave. Warning, ominous warning, which I failed to heed. 
So yeah, there was plenty of uh, warnings either in school or in family. I mean, what the, the D.A.R.E. program or the Just Say No or all the different programs. Yeah, there were plenty of warnings. I just didn't care. 22 and a veteran of foreign wars. I went home at last. I fancied myself a leader for had not the men of my battery given me a special token for appreciation. My talent for leadership, I imagine, would place me at the head of vast enterprises, which I would manage with the utmost assurance. I never really felt like a leader like Bill's talking about here, but I always thought I should be a leader. If people would only follow me, if only people would get on board with what I wanted out of life, we'd all be having a great time. Listen to me, right? <laughs> and tweaking hard, I would always come up with imaginations of me being the head of a, a massive company or an invention or money, piles of money and success and how I was going to solve all the world's problems till I came down the next day. Oh, man. Page two. I took a, no, light no, uh, I took a night law course and obtained employment as investigator for a surety company. The drive for success was on. I proved to the world that I was important. So looking back on it, how many times did I have the desire to prove to people that I was important? I'm a big guy, I'm an important guy, over and over and over again. Um, my work took me about Wall Street and little by little I became interested in the market. Many people lost money, but some became very rich. Why not I? So scheming and dreaming was part of his story too and that was definitely part of mine. I studied economics and business as well as law. Potential alcoholic that I was, I nearly failed my law course. One of the finals, I was too drunk to think or write. Though my drinking was not yet continuous, it disturbed my wife. We had long talks when I would still her forebodings or her worrying by telling her that men of genius were conceived their best projects when drunk, like the drunk artist thing, right? Yeah, I was always up to something. Never followed through much, but I was always trying something that the most majestic constructions of philosophical thought were so derived. Pretty words, but in the end, I was just a drunk guy, not drunk artist, really. Uh, by the time I had completed the course, I knew that the law was not for me. So I had some big plans for myself, and I actually tried to follow through on some of them. I was going to be an architect for a while because I thought that was just going to be a dream come true. Creative, make lots of money, um, pretty you know, good job until the second semester came around and it was too much work, I quit. <laughs> um, the inviting maelstrom, or um, let's see here, uh, the storm of Wall Street had me in its grip. Business and financial leaders were my heroes. Out of this alloy, alloy of drink and speculation, I commenced to forge the weapon that would one day turn in its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. So what was my boomerang made of? Fear, self-will, drugs, and alcohol. And it was a hell of a run up. There were a lot of party times excellent. There were a lot of crazy times, but in the end it was me alone, drinking and using, and can't stop. Living modestly, my wife and I saved a thousand it went into certain securities, then cheap and rather unpopular. I rightly imagined how they would someday gave, give, have a great rise. I failed to persuade my broker friends to send me out looking over factories and managements, but my wife and I decided to go anyways. I had developed the theory that most people lost money in stocks through ignorance of markets. I discovered many more reasons later on. So 
What Bill's saying there is that he had big plans, big, big ideas, but he was also very naive. He was ignorant to the realities of life. I, I remember being young and like wanting to do this, wanting to do that, and not understanding why everybody wouldn't get on board with my plan, you know, and why everybody wouldn't give me money to go do it. <laughs> um, and then I would drink more. We gave up our positions and off we roared on a motorcycle, sidecar stuffed with a tent, blankets, and a change of clothes, three huge volumes of a financial reference service. Our friends thought a lunacy commission should be appointed. Perhaps they were right. So how many wacky plans did I do? And people told me, nah, that doesn't sound quite right, Michael, or maybe you should not have tried to do that. Maybe you should just get a job. Nope, did it anyways, just like Bill. I had some success at speculation, so I had a little bit of money, but we once worked on a farm for a month to avoid drawing on our small capital. That was the last honest manual labor on my part for many a day. We covered the whole eastern United States in a year. At the end, my reports to Wall Street procured me a position there and the use of a large expense account. The exercise of an option brought in more money, leaving us with a profit of several thousand for that year. So I too had some success. I got into a, a sales position and a drunk lying salesperson it can make a lot of money. I did, I made a lot of money. Um, but I wasn't successful on the inside and my drinking and my drugging got worse and worse. For the next few years, fortune threw money and applause my way. I had arrived. My judgment and ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. The great boom of the late 20s was seething and swelling. Drink was taking a, an important and exhilarating part of my life. So do I look back at my drinking and using career and see times that it really, really ramped up? And yes, there were two or three times when it really kicked in. First big time was when I uh, started hanging out with these folks that had their own place. They drank a little bit more than me. They partied a little bit more than me. And I went and hung out with them because that's what I wanted to do. A little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Then I got my own place and started to do even more then. And then um, the drugs and the, the methamphetamine just completely dominated me. And then my entire life for a while was just about getting speed and all of that culture and life that uh, comes with it. And it got darker and darker. My drinking or my using assumed a more serious proportion. So it's getting worse. It's getting more. It's accelerating. That's what Bill's story is trying to remind us of, the progressive nature, how it continues to get worse. The remonstrances or the arguments of my friends were terminated in a row, fights, and I became a lone wolf. There were many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous or luxurious apartment. There'd been no real infidelity for loyalty to my wife, helped at times by extreme drunkenness, kept me out of those scrapes. So Bill's saying that right here, there'd been no real um, infidelity. So what kind of infidelity had there been, Bill? Huh? Huh? We shouldn't give Bill a pass on this one, but I, I guess we're gonna, okay? In 29, I contracted golf fever. We went at once to the country, my wife to applaud while I started out to overtake Walter Hagen or the Tiger Woods of the day. Liquor caught up with me much faster than I came up behind Walter. I begin to get jittery in the morning. So now I'm becoming physically dependent on alcohol. I'm physically dependent on the drugs. I have to take it. It's no longer 
all about the fun and the party and the life. Now it's about survival. And I relate to Bill in that a lot. It started happening every day and every night. It was fun to caroam around the exclusive course, golf course, which had inspired such awe in me as a lad. I inquired the impeccable coat of tan one sees upon the well-to-do. The local banker watched me whirl fat checks in and out of his till with amused skepticism. I used to think that that meant Bill was rich, and I really was never rich, rich. I always wanted to be, but I was never really rich, rich. But the more I read this, I realize this is very much like me. The local, local banker watched me world fat checks in and out. And that reminds me of when I was making money, every time I would get a raise, I would spend more money and I would be more in debt after getting a raise because I'm spending more money than I'm making. I'm putting money in as fast as I possibly can but I'm spending it even faster. Next thing you know, I've got a credit card. Now I'm up to like, you know, at the time it was like $1,500 worth of debt. And I thought that was, at the time, I thought that was a million dollars. And the more I make, the worse it gets. Crazy. Abruptly in 29, hell broke loose on the stock exchange. After one of those days of inferno, I wobbled from a hotel bar to the brokerage office. It was eight o'clock, five hours after the market closed. The ticker or the stock exchange still clattered. I was staring at an inch of tape which bore the inscription XYZ32. It had been valued at 52 that morning, so lost almost half, half its value in a day. I was finished monetarily, and so were men, many of my friends. The papers reported men jumping to their death from the hot towers of high finance. That disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. My friends had dropped several millions since 10 o'clock, so what? Tomorrow's another day. As I drank, the old fierce determination to win came back. So at this moment, Bill still has alcohol as a solution. It's still getting him through, getting him by. And then if you notice, the Towers of High Finance is actually capitalized, which reminds me of how much I worshipped money, success, uh, people, other people's opinions of me, how I was always trying to outspend people and look good. If I look good, I am good. And I always felt worse on the inside. Next morning, I telephoned a friend in Montreal. He had plenty of money left and thought I'd better go to Canada. By the following sp spring, we were living to our accustomed style. I felt like Napoleon returning from Elba. No St. Helena for me. But drink caught up with me again, and my generous friend had to let me go. This time we stayed broke. So Bill does another geographic, and it works for a while. Makes a little bit of money. Things calm down a little bit. So in my case, too, there were times when this got a little bit better. I don't have a great explanation for why it got better, but it did. If it was all a straight line straight down, I wouldn't be here right now. I would have never survived it. But there were times when it seemed to get a little bit better, and for Bill, too. So it falls apart again. It's getting worse. We went to live with my wife's parents. I found a job, then lost it. Yep. Um, as a result of a brawl with a taxi driver. Mercifully, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw, draw a sober breath. My wife began to work in the department store, coming home exhausted to find me drunk. I became an unwelker hanging on at, a brokerage, at brokerage places where, where he was working and getting money. He became unwelcome. Uh, one of our considerations is where did I become unwelcome? 
I don't relate to the unwelcome part because as long as I was buying, everybody wanted me around, right? As long as I'm buying, I'm welcome anywhere I go with the, the people I'm hanging out with. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. So when do I look back in my history and see some kind of shift in my history where either the drugs or the alcohol became an absolute necessity? This is just part of my life now. I'm having consequences, difficulty, complaints from my family, complaints from work, and I just lower my standards to match my addiction. Some people grow out of their addictions or some of their, their problems, not really addiction, but their problems. I grow into my problems. I grow into my addiction and it gets worse and worse. Sometimes a small deal would uh, net a few hundred dollars. I'd pay off my bills. <clears throat> This went on endlessly, and I began to wake in very early in the morning, shaking violently. A tumbler of gin followed by a half dozen bottles of beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. So at some point, I'm so dependent on drugs or alcohol, I need them to function before I can even greet the world, rolling out of bed, grabbing a drink, or a couple of hits. Nevertheless, <laughs> this is the denial and the insanity, nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation. And there were periods of sobriety or moderation which uh, renewed my wife or my partner's hope. Okay, things are already pretty bad, yeah? Gradually, things got worse. <laughs> this, guy's, this guy's like a bad country song, right? It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse, right? The house was taken over by the mortgage holder. I'm, I'm losing all my shit. Uh, Mother-in-law dies, crisis in the family. My wife and father-in-law became ill. Then I get a promising business opportunity. Stocks were at the low point of 32. I had somehow formed a group to buy. I was to share generously in the profits. Then I went on a prodigious bender or an epic drunk and that chance vanished. So when did I pool all my resources together? Because none of us are stupid. Um... When did I pull my resources together and just really try and pull it off? And what do I do? Right at the worst time, I just get drunk or I get high, right? Mm. And it all falls apart again. And poor me, what am I going to do over that? I'm going to drink. I woke up. This has to stop. I saw that I could not take as much as one drink or one line or one hit of anything. I was through forever. Before all that, <clears throat> I'd written lots of sweet promises, mostly to other people. But this time, I meant business. Me. At some point, I said, I'm no longer doing this shit anymore. I am not going to do this. I'm done. Shortly afterward, I came home drunk. <clears throat> there had been no fight. Where had been my high resolve or my moral high ground, my willpower, my desire to stay clean and sober? Where had it been? I simply didn't know. It hadn't even come to mind. Someone had pushed a drink my way or anything else that was going to alter the way I feel. I'd taken it. Just like that. Was I crazy? I began to wonder for such an appalling lack of perspective seemed near being just that. So was I crazy? I begin to think so because, yes, I, I'm smart enough to know that what people are telling me is actually kind of true and they might actually be right. I might be an alcoholic and I might be a drug addict. 
and I can't stop. So I hide more, I disappear more, I reject the people that aren't going to enable me or let me drink and use the way I want, and it gets worse. I'll wrap it up here pretty quickly. Renewing my resolve, I tried again. What other choice do I have? I'm just going to keep trying. I got no power to do any different, but I got, this has got to stop. I can't keep doing this. Top of page six. Sobered up a, a, a bit. Got it. Sobered up a bit and confidence begins to get replaced by cocksureness. Oh, okay, I got this. I'm just not going to drink anymore. I'll, I'll hang out with my old friends, but I'm just not going to drink. I'm going to tell them I'm sober, you know, so they're going to support me in that, right? I'm going to hang out in all the old places with all the old people, and I'm just going to, I'm going to sober sober, right? I could laugh at the gin mills or I could laugh at all my old problems and the way I used to live my life. I'm sober now. Dry, really. Now I have what it takes, willpower. One day I walked into a cafe to telephone. In no time, I'm beating on the bar, asking myself how it happened. As the whiskey rose to my head, I told myself I would manage better next time. But I might as well get to it now. And I did. Don't want to leave us on too bad of a note, but here it comes. The remorse the horror and the hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. How many times did I wake up or not wake up because I'd been up all night? The gray is starting to come up. Sorry. The gray is starting to come up. You can almost start to see the sun and it's just hopeless and bleak. I made it to another sunrise that I do not want to see. Now I gotta make it through a whole nother day like this. What's in it for me? What's left? And I'm hopeless. Bleak, horror, remorse, and hopelessness. So thanks for letting me share. We ended on page six. Thank you, Michael. Hi, my name is Michael, I'm an alcoholic. You know, they changed the format of this meeting and um, I was really excited because one thing I look forward to on a weekly basis is doing one-on-ones with my sponsor and, and we read the book, and we break it down and, you know, I highlight certain things that stick out to me and um, there's a lot of things I miss when I read it, a lot of things that, small detail that I don't pay attention to, but um, what I can say today, Mike, you killed it, man. You, you, you broke it down for me in a, in a way that, you know, I... In a normal session, and, and I'm not knocking my sponsor, I love my sponsor, he does a great job, but I might highlight two sentences, a page or whatever, and, and just listening to you and you breaking down, it, uh, it made me see how I can relate to, to Bill's story in my life. And yours as well, Michael, because um, I grew up in a, uh, in a, in a, a, a addictive home. My, my, my mother was a heroin addict, my father was a heroin addict, and, uh, my father was always in prison, and my mom would have her runs. And um, growing up, you know, I uh, the time I spent with my mom, I was I was ten, eleven years old, and she would let me and my friends drink. She would let us drink, and you know, it came to where like, uh, you know, at first we'd be riding our bikes, playing football in the streets, doing things normal normal kids do. Then when my mom would get out of jail, or my mom would be around. We'd all be locked up in the house drinking alcohol under my mom's supervision, you know. But but it wasn't it wasn't to get drunk because I I mean I would, but it was more spending time with my mother. And um, at the age of twelve, she passed away of a heroin overdose. And um, 
you know, it, one of the things I highlighted that I never really noticed was that I was very lonely. And again, I turned to alcohol. So I would drink with my mother, but it, I would just sip it and just try to just spend the time with her and hang out with her. But uh, let me rewind that. So my mom would be at the house all the time, and she would send me to the liquor store back in those days with a note and a $20 bill, you know, and it'd say, hey, give him a bottle of Cisco or Night Train or whatever she was drinking at that time, cheap garbage stuff, you know, that she would drink, and a pack of Smokes, I remember a pack of Cools, and um, the Korean guy, his, his name was Han, he'd be like, hey, Mikey, you know, you run right home, take this right home, and, and that's what I would do. I'd run the alcohol home. So I had, again, I, I treasured the time, so I would save every one of those notes. I put it in a drawer and I kept it. So when my mom passed away, that was my free pass to get alcohol. The, the Asian guy, the Korean guy didn't know my mom had passed away. He wasn't in our business that much. So that was my, you know, my green light to go get alcohol. I'd go with the note and he'd do the same thing. Hey, Mike, you run home, you know, run right home. You know, a couple times I fell and I was just, you know, drunk off my ass. But that was, you know, and, and that was when I became an alcoholic. At the age of 12, I, I can say I was an alcoholic. You know, I didn't know what the, I didn't get the jitters, I guess, back then, because maybe my body, you know, I was a kid, it, but, you know, I, I've never noticed that paragraph, that sentence in that, in that paragraph until what you said, and, you know, and, and it really, you know, uh, made me think, and then a couple sentences down, they're talking about the, the, the soldier, and it says, whether he died by musket or by pot, and, um, in my addiction, I never used heroin because of, because of my mom's addiction. But I turned to alcohol. And I knew one day, well, I didn't know, but I figured one day I would die a drunken death. Either, either in a crime or, or whatever the case may be. And, you know, and, and it just it made me relate to a lot of things. And, and I, again, I, um, I really liked the way you broke it down. I, I, I learned a lot today, and, and I highlighted so much stuff today. Um, and it just, you know, um, like, and there's just so much that stuck out to me. I have so much highlight, I'm not going to go over everything. But, you know, and then here it goes. As I, you know, I grew up and I became more of an alcoholic. And uh, for a long time, I was a crystal meth user. And I went into Salvation Army in 2013 off, off of a, a seven-year joint suspension. And I didn't want to go to prison. So I quit using meth. But I turned to alcohol. And I became a drunk, man. I became a real hardcore, hardcore drunk to where that's all I did. The days I, I would stay up on meth were now the nights I would crash out from alcoholism, just black out and forget what had happened. And, you know, and um, it put a lot of stress on my marriage, but I was a good provider. I was, I made a lot of side money. And, and, and so it, it was, it was accepted. But my alcoholism replaced my meth addiction. And... You know, and then it, it says here, liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Bathtub gin, I'm thinking that's like cheap liquor, right? Is that what that means? Okay. Gin. Well, bathtub gin, I'm, I'm thinking that means like just, that's what I got from it. Because I know when, when, when I got to heart of my addiction, I'll end here. Um, I drank cheap crap just to, because it was cheaper and I can get to uh, the same place that I got before. Anyway. I'll cut it short, but uh, I just do want to thank you, Mike. That was that really like like touched me, like really really good, man. I, I again, I love my sponsor, and he does a good job. But you broke it down for me to where I 
I didn't even bring my highlighter today, but I, I, my book is so full of underlines, and I thank you for that, Mike. Thank you very much. Thanks for letting me show, guys. Bernie's not here to give me the confidence with my uh, Sal's watch. <laughs> yeah, Sal, alcoholic. Mike, thanks for your share. That, that was, or your lead, that was really good. And every time I read Bill's story, it... I find a new thing um, in it. But one thing that stuck out was the hanger-on. I became an unwelcome hanger-on at the brokerage place. Uh, I was a hanger-on, I, I believe, in, in my workplace. Um, as you guys know, in college, I was a big pothead and growing. But when I stopped uh, smoking, I turned to alcohol. Well, I worked at this... Uh, private school here in San Diego that's very well known and I uh, was an operations manager and it was a third-party company that they outsourced all the maintenance and everything to and uh, I was hired as an HVAC guy because that's my background and then I moved my way up to operations and then I was right under the director and uh, I the director was I was drinking a lot back then, but the director was doing some shady stuff. He was hiding a lot of the finances. He was hiding um, paying the bills in order to get his, his bonuses every quarter. So what do I do? I voice my displeasure because the, the company wasn't doing anything about it. New president comes in. I'm like, hey, you know, he's getting information from me about how the operations are ran. I told him, look, this guy is getting, you know, this guy is pocketing, not pocketing money, but he's hiding, he's cushioning it so that way he can get his bonuses. And meanwhile, we can't order parts. We can't do this. We can't do that. So I left and three years later, school comes back and asked me to come in-house and take over because I couldn't do it if I was part of the company I was working for. I wouldn't be able to, they wouldn't allow that. That was in the contract. So I left and I came back and I took over. Everything was hunky-dory, it was great. Hired who I wanted to bring in. And then the drinking came during the work hours. I'm drinking, the guys I thought I trusted were drinking with me. It was started out at football games and it went to just every day. And that hanger on, that was me. I was just hanging out. I was like, ah, I got the spot. I established myself here. Been here for 15 years. Who's going to take care of me? Or who's going to take me down? Well, it goes back in the cycle again. New president comes in and his first year. And it was his, he was the principal that became president. And lo and behold, who's that hanger on that gets the boot first? It was me. And as you're going through your amends and are going through your uh, resentment list, you know, you're sitting there and you're looking at those resentments like this mother effer, he, you know, turned his back on me. He did this. He did that to me. But in all the while, I was the one who did it to myself, you know, and I was just that hanger on thinking that like Mike, Mike said. I'm supplying you guys with the alcohol for Friday nights, you know, so we can go ahead and have some drinks before the football game. They were all cool with it, you know, 
But once that new president came in and he's starting to ask, like, hey, how are things going here? How the oh, Sal's a drunk. Sal's drinking. Sal's doing this, doing that. And I was a stupid one that just thought that I was the, the, the man. So that really stuck out in my head. And every time, like I said, every time I read this story, something else pops up. And thank you, Michael, for bringing that up. And now I'm going to take that to prayer and meditation and keep that in the past. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Good evening, everybody. My name is Oliver, and I'm an alcoholic. And you know, I'm rattled, man, because this story just hits home so hard. I am. I was a stockbroker. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of Bill's story, man, hits home. And and what really hit home for me is that. When, we, when I was using it, I thought that I was doing the right things. I thought that I really had it. I really wanted to be a leader, and I wanted to be in front of great enterprise, and I thought that I had it, and I was a big shot, and I was making money. And I was also in the bars talking, they were managing millions and spending thousands. I mean, the story hits home a lot. And I was just, you know, making notes right now on my phone on the story. And, and the different times that I said this time, I'm done with this, I'm going to give it one more shot. And I did one more shot, and then drugs again kicked my ass. So <clears throat> for, for a very long time, and I, I, I've been sober from alcohol since 1991, but I relapsed in drugs for a long time, man. So I've been sober this time around for like seven years. But it's amazing how I sabotaged my whole life. You know what I mean? Just reading that story is that it's amazing that right now that I'm sober, all the decisions that I made back then, it's not a chance of the world that I would make them. But back then, I was lighting my, my house on fire, and while I was turning it on, I thought it was a good idea, man. So that's what alcohol and drugs did for me, you know. That's, that's why my disease is. I mean, I cannot. This is my solution. When I'm in my solution, meaning in drugs and alcohol, because that's the only power that I knew back then, I'm destroying my life at the same time. But I think it's a good idea. Until you have enough, until you lose everything. I mean, it has to be tragic. For me, it needed to be really tragic in order for me to say, shit, I guess that I, I need some help, you know. So this first part of Bill's story, man, it breaks my heart, man. It really, uh, every, time, every time I read it, hits home and hits home really hard because I can't believe that was me. You know what I'm saying? I can't believe in all the places that I have been, all the gifts that God have given me in the past, and that I pretty much destroy them all, willingly, thinking that it was a good idea. And all of that was because of drugs and alcohol, man. So, super powerful story for me to stay sober, man. I mean, drugs and alcohol, but that's without 100% without sobriety, there's nothing in my life. And the first part of this story, that's what exactly what hits home for me. And uh, like I said, man, it was, it was, thank you, man. You did an amazing job breaking it down breaking it down. Thank you, guys. Hi, Luis, alcoholic. Michael, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the way you shared your experience with Bill's story. And, and like Oliver shared, I too, from the moment I read Bill's story, I related because, um, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for a couple decades now. And um, the part where he said I was part of life at last that feeling for me started in high school and 
You know, um, when I was 13, my cousin was 19, and it's 1989, and the cartels are just, the money is just flowing in Tijuana, and there's just so much money, and parties, and new places are being opened, and, and I got to be part of that, because I got to tag along, and I wasn't drinking, but I couldn't wait till I was 18 to be part of it, like, like all in. And then um, 16 uh, stuff happened and I focused on school and I was all focused on getting into the right crowd, the right classes, and I did it. And then I, I remember I went to that first party as a senior and I started drinking and that, that buzz, you know, like the stars and everything, and it was on. And so by the time I did come back to Tijuana and I just, you know, that idea of like I'm running places, you know, and I had all the numbers and the contacts and the tables and all that. And once again, that feeling that it was on. And so for me, drinking's always been part of this lifestyle. And the more money I got, the bigger the parties got, the crazier it got, the everything, you know? And it's just, so I related to Bill from the moment I read the story. And I imagine that some of us can just relate to just, you know, the effect, the drinking and the effect that it has. And just, as Michael pointed out, it's, it was still working. At some point it worked. It covered the fact that I didn't like myself. It covered the fact that I felt like a, I suffer from imposter syndrome because the more money I, I, I made and the more success the business had, the more I was hiding because I didn't want anyone to ask me because people thought I was an expert in certain fields and we just happened to build something that was working so well in that time and we knew how to sell it. But I wasn't really a, any more expert than the people around me. So, you know, uh, it's just a fear of being found out to be a fraud. So I just drank more. And... Um, until, like he points out, and then Michael pointed out, Michael too, it, um, it stopped being a luxury, right? It stopped working, you know? And I, and I became the lone wolf. And now that party of, like, I didn't trust myself going to any social events. Um, I, stopped, I stopped going out, but my party at home just got bigger. And so anytime I, I mean, to be honest, the Easter... 2014, I had a huge party at my house. I spent hours of picking all the alcohol. By 3 p.m., I was blacked out on Easter. That's how I celebrated Easter back then. Totally different today, right? But um, it is such a progressive disease, and I eventually hit bottom on November 22nd, 2014, just a few months after that Easter. And, you know, the good news is that we're about to go into the second half of Bill's story soon is my life's been transformed. You know, like I thought I had this at the book, the book points towards this ideas, emotions and attitudes. And that's how I came in. Ideas, emotions and attitude. My best idea was as long as I don't sink a little further today, I'm going to be OK. Right. And but God's like saying, no. I'm going to pull you out from that hole that you can't get out of, that you just keep sinking further in, and I'm going to put you on new promised land. And I'm going to give you a fresh start. 
And that's what he does. He rewrites our story, a new future. And so I'm just so grateful for all of you being here tonight because we do this together. We support each other. We encourage each other. And that's all I have. Thanks. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe at eastlakebba.com. You can also help us reach others by spreading the word about our podcast. Thank you for joining us today on the East Lake Big Book Awakening Podcast.